0: Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. The Seahawks, they came away from the three days of the NFL draft with only three picks. And I'm glad I'm not a huge betting guy because anyone who bet the Seahawks would leave the draft with only three picks, even after trading down uh, a very unpredictable draft by John Schneider. So joining me here to talk about the final pick by the Seahawks in the sixth round It it works out so well, EJ, EJ Snyder of bootleg football joining me because it was the Bears who was the trade partner for the Seahawks. They package together their sixth round pick, their seventh round pick. They move up into that spot that the Bears held earlier on in the sixth round and the Seahawks take offensive tackle Stone Forsythe from Florida.
1: It's funny you mentioned that. Ironically enough, a lot of Bears fans, including myself, were pretty high on Stone Forsyth as a guy that could have been brought in to sit behind Chicago's left tackle, Charles Leno, learn for a year, and then maybe take over. Um, Ironic that he ends up with the Hawks. Stone Forsyth is a big guy. Let's start with that. Really good. Yeah, really good feet. You're talking about a guy that's 6'8", 307. Uh, really long wingspan, had a tremendous relative athletic score, 8.79. And you see that in his pass sets. His pass sets are amazing. Now, he came from Florida. This is Kyle Trask's left tackle. You look at his pass sets. He's, he's really tremendous. He uses his size well. He's light on his feet. He's quick into his pass sets. And with that wingspan, he's really hard to get around. And I know what everybody's thinking. Okay. EJ, if this guy's so light on his feet and he's huge and athletic and he pass sets really well, why what's the, catch? the
0: sixth round, what took so long to get yeah. to him in the sixth what's round the
1: catch. And this is interesting, more irony, especially for a team like Seahawks that likes to pound the rock. He is lost in run blocking. He is not a run blocker. Um, a lot of times we talk about tight ends and we say they get in the way on run blocking and that's really all they do. That's literally stone Forsyth. He, for whatever reason, and I'm not sure whether he went to high school that that featured a wide open passing attack or what, but he kind of never picked it up, although he is big and athletic and has the tools to do it, he really has no clue as a run blocker right now. It is is literally two sides of the coin, pass blocking, amazing, and that's what attracted everybody's eye to him in draft prep was, man, this guy pass sets like nobody's business. He's playing in a very good conference, and he's not getting beat very often by some of the very best rushers in the country. Why? Oh, look at him try and run the – oh, no movement. um, Doesn't have great angles. Doesn't play with great leverage in the run game. Again, he has all the athletic skill in the world and could learn to do that. Um, run blocking tends to be more of a want to thing pass blocking tends to be more of a I don't want to say strictly technique thing but you have to have your technique dialed to do it well um, he needs some seasoning like he has all the potential in the world but the Seahawks are not a team to go well you're in the game we just won't run the ball like that's never gonna happen <laughs> with Pete Carroll coach team so he needs to pick up the finer points of run blocking and look he's got guys on the seattle line all of them that can help him with that but he's gonna have to do the work and become a better run blocker because right now i i wouldn't say hopeless that's a little harsh but he is an extremely poor run blocker and an extremely great pass blocker it's just a weird dichotomy in an offensive tackle well, and Pete Carroll
0: in the day three press conference, this is how we know that the draft is over for the Seahawks because, well, I suppose they did finish up their press conference already, so they could try and move back into the seventh round. But if they're already going to the to the media to talk about the draft, but one of the things that he said about Forsyth is that he's going to be learning behind one of the best in Dwayne Brown. So it, uh, it like you said, with Leno, if he would have went to the Bears, sit behind him for a year, Dwayne Brown getting up there at thirty six. Man, if you can't figure out just how to get in the way a little bit better by working with a guy like Dwayne Brown and, you know, other coaches, apparently Steve Hutchinson was a guy who went down to Florida to work him out ahead of the draft. Ooh. So, it's things like that that you like to hear going uh out of the draft, EJ.
1: No, absolutely. Uh your point is well taken and I fully agree with P like it, Dwayne Brown is a good run blocker. He is a, I would I would say good to very good run blocker. Hutchinson, forget it. (laughs) One of the all-time greats as a run blocker. Seahawks fans uh, who've been around long enough understand that. If Hutchinson and Dwayne Brown can sit down over coffee and figure out how to pull the right levers with Stone Forsyth, Seahawks fans are in for a treat. You just don't find people of his size. His arm length is 34.3 33 is pretty much the threshold. You talk about an inch and a third greater than that on each arm. That really matters in tackle play. It's one of the reasons he's such a good pass protector. He's going to make contact first before the defender can touch him because his arms are longer, but he can move his feet really well. This is a guy, again, 307 pounds, ran a one forty. He had a 463 shuttle and a 7473 cone. This is a massive human with really long levers. That's a tremendously athletic performance. And the frame, y- you can't buy that kind of size. So if Dwayne Brown and Steve Hutchison can you know, impart a little bit of wisdom and take some of that athleticism, put it into the right leverage and angles for run blocking, this is going to be one of the biggest steals of the draft in two or three years if they can make that happen.
0: Well, and I saw somebody on Twitter comparing Forsyth to some of the previous Rams tackles that have been taken. And Joseph Noteboom, who is pretty athletic, Guy, uh, he, he beat him in almost every category at, at a
1: bigger size, yeah, absolutely. This, when you find guys this big that can move, you take shots on them, you absolutely just take chances because they don't come along that often. And you've already got, I would say, the more difficult thing to learn, the more complex and nuanced thing to learn is pass blocking, and he's good at that already, like, he has a very strong base as a pass blocker. So, if it's it's attractive and I can see why the Seahawks would take the shot because if you can teach him to have a little bit of dog in him on the run game, again, this is a guy that could play in a league for a very long time.
0: You know, again, it's an unpredictable thing. And if, if you're telling me that a guy is a better pass blocker than a run blocker, it's not something I necessarily would have expected from the Seahawks. But I, I like the approach because in the past, they've traditionally gone for guys who are, solid in the run game. And yeah, they need to pick up more of the passing side. And now it almost, it seems like a little bit of a shift here, maybe with what they're going for. And it was also interesting to, to hear John Schneider talking about how excited Pete Carroll and Steve Hutchinson both were about getting this guy because apparently they were trying to trade up higher into the sixth round. They didn't have the ammunition to quite go and do it. Schneider was talking about maybe moving up in the one ninety range. So early on in the sixth round, they end up having to wait until pick 208. They make the trade with the Bears. The Bears end up with a boatload of picks here at the end of the sixth round and the seventh round. It's, it's just interesting to me that that's the guy that they had targeted. They were still able to get him.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of interest in Stone Forest in the lead up to the draft. I saw him as high as the 120s in rankings. That's about where he peaked. Um, but again, the team fit has to be right. It has to be a team that's willing to work with him. He He's not going to – he shouldn't go to a place right now where he's going to be slotted in as the starter because, again, he would be getting abused in half of the offense or maybe a third of the offense the way offensive balances work these days. So ideal situation, he can come in. He doesn't have to start. They're not expecting him to. They know what he is, and they're acknowledging that. That's the best case for a guy like Stone Forsyth.
0: Yes, generally, when you're picking in the sixth round, you are looking for a type of project. But if he has the pass blocking thing worked out, you just got to work on the run game, give him a year to do that, and maybe he can be a guy who can grow into something more. Coming up next, we can talk a little bit more about Forsyth, but also want to get your look at the class as a whole for the Seahawks. It's only three picks, but we're going to talk about it coming up next. Talking to EJ Snyder of bootleg football. He's also the co-host of the bears over beers podcast, part of windy city gridiron, the bears SB nation network. And EJ, I'm curious what you think overall having only three picks, but where they went. I I know you, you probably would have liked to see them compile more picks toward the end of the round. Maybe they're just counting on guys and and being able to be very competitive on the UDFA side. And, And Schneider actually mentioned that, that, He thinks that with with only having three draft picks that now that's going to send up a flag to all the guys who didn't get drafted. And so, hey, come to Seattle because, you know, we had such a small draft class.
1: Yeah, the other thing with the Hawks, as always, is they preach competition and they follow that up actions louder than words, right? If you play well, if you come into Hawks camp and you play well, you're going to stick, you're going to make the team, you're going to get playing time. And that is not the way it is in every NFL team. Look, if you blow away decision makers and you have all kinds of talent, you fell for some reason and the team can handle that, that happens occasionally. But the Hawks are, you know, at one point their roster was greater than 50%, you know, undrafted free agents. And that is because they believe that we're going to get these guys. We might not hit them all in the draft, but we're going to collect them. They're going to come here and we're going to give them a chance to start. And they're going to play their butts off to try and earn that. And he's not wrong. Low number of draft picks and that mentality. If I'm looking at Seattle's roster and I'm, I'm a player that where I think they're a little bit light, they're going to be at the top of my list. I really don't care what they offer me because I know they're going to give me a fair shot to play. And, you know, Players want that. They want a chance to see the field and they know they can earn it in Seattle. So I would expect that they are warming everybody up right now, that they are probably on the line with multiple guys who are looking to be, you know, UDFAs in a few minutes and saying, nope, hold on, we're your first, we're your number one, right? We've got you slotted in. We're going to give you the biggest bonus. Get in here. Um, I would not be surprised at all if they're leveraging that process very, very heavily this year. Um, Overall, their draft class, they got three good players, you know, Dwayne Eskridge, good stuff. Trey Brown, we talked about him, very solid player. Stone Forsyth, a guy that was coveted by a lot of teams. And I'm not surprised that Schneider is a little surprised that he fell far enough that they had enough ammunition to go up and get him. They are happy about him. You can say, hey, it's only three players. Or you can say, hey, it's three good players where we had, you know, needs. It doesn't cover all our needs. Certainly doesn't give us a youth movement. But you know, we did solidly with the picks we had. We didn't uh, pick anybody who, you know, nobody knew their name and they're going to have to come in here and try and earn a starting spot. You know, we can see a path to the field for all three of these players. If Forsyth would have
0: been, if this were a different draft class, maybe last year even because it was not a deep tackle draft class, about what range do you suppose he goes in last year versus coming out this year?
1: Uh, He would have gone a little bit higher in last year's tackle class just because the depth, the tail of the depth wasn't as long. Um, The talent at the top was very similar was a loaded tackle class at the top. Just wasn't quite as deep. There weren't as sort of many deep starters or guys that had a chance to start as deep down the draft as there were this year. So he might have gone... A little bit higher. I actually think he probably should have gone a little bit higher this year. Um, just based on again size, athletic profile, and the fact that he has a great pass set already. That's a super desirable skill. Um, but again, he falls, he falls into the range of the hawks. They get him, they feel good about their plan to develop him. Uh, I, I'd say everybody wins. It's a good situation for Stone. I mean, come on, you come in and like, hey, you're gonna be working with you're going to be working with Hutchison. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, cool. One of the one of the greatest, you know, offensive linemen in the last 20, 25 years. Great. Neat. That Sure. That sounds great, coach. Like, sign me up. Oh, and the guy starting in front of you, is, you know, has a decent shot at the Hall of Fame when he retired. Oh, okay. Cool. Like, you look around and everything's great. So, and he doesn't have to start right away. That would be a lot of pressure for him. I feel like you're going to be the day one starter. We got to get you ready. Um, that's a ton of pressure for any, guy coming out of college but a guy that has some work to do um that would be a stretch so great situation uh falls down good value for seattle could have gone much much earlier i could have seen him really anytime after their second pick the pick number 137 was really the range where i think teams were starting to look at him uh yeah they would have
0: taken him there with the trey brown pick i I don't think anybody would have really batted either right
1: no, I don't think so either. And they could have come back and got, you know, uh, possibly a corner, uh, much like Thomas Graham, who the Bears picked up with uh, one of the picks that they got. Uh, so Mukwama, who we talked a,
0: about, ended up going to Dallas at the under round six.
1: and I actually really like that fit for them. They they like the physical press corner, and he fits really well for them. Well, with so, Quinn there um,
0: in Dallas now, makes a lot of sense, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. They're going to play a very similar kind of system. So, uh, you know, all overall it worked out and uh, it's hard for me to sort of throw any stones at the Seahawks draft class. Not huge, but they had good value with the picks they got. So, you know, good on them. And uh, again, it's not over. The UDFA process is one of my favorites. They're going to comb through whatever's left and there's a lot left. There's some really quality players and you never know why they slide, but they are sliding. I mean, there's a, there's a safety from TCU who should have gone to the third round He was he was still on the board in the seventh. So, you know, these are these are things that happen every year. And I think the Hawks are in a good position, like we talked about, to sort of call through some of that talent and really, you know, quite frankly, bolster their draft class without more draft picks.
0: Yeah. I said going into this draft, if they come out with only three picks, but we look back three, four years from now, and those and each of those guys have played significant starting time, then you then you can't knock the draft. It's I mean you look at that. Gosh, the one with Shaquille Griffin. And they had 10, 11 picks. And, you know, it was David Moore and Chris Carson and Shaquille Griffin. And, yeah, they got the three guys. But they also had a lot of guys who, who didn't live up to the hype.
1: That's the hit rate, man. 30%. It It's like being a baseball hitter. If you're batting 330 or 335, you probably got a pretty, you know, pretty solid gig in the major leagues. And GM is the same way. If you're hitting on three or four out of 10 pretty regularly that's a good hit rate in the NFL draft it is it is a tough thing to do well at Um, some years you got to hit a little bit more some years maybe if you're unlucky hit a little bit less but if that's your average you're going to be employed for a long time one thing that we
0: talked about with Trey Brown is whether he would play inside or outside and Pete Carroll did address this in the post-draft press conference he said he sees him as an outside corner they did not draft him to play nickel EJ
1: nice i love it i love it the seahawks are changing they're adapting like you said to the threats they see that's really cool so uh, i'm really glad to hear it thanks for sharing and the other thing gabe
0: jackson's gonna play right guard damian lewis last year's rookie moving over to the left side to play next to Dwayne brown so just another interesting piece of news
1: yeah i'm trying to think where he played at lsu whether he was left or right naturally I thought he was right.
0: Yeah, LSU Damian Lewis was right, and
1: yeah, yeah they, so they, that'll be that'll be a little bit different. It would uh, be a little bit different. Players say it's like learning how to um, well. The nice way is to say it's like learning to eat with the other hand. They say something else. But right. <laughs> um yeah, no, that'll be that'll be fascinating to see if he if he picks that up. Some guys have no problem with it. They're a little bit more kind of ambidextrous with side, but um some offensive linemen really struggle with that. So it'll be interesting to track that progress.
0: Yeah, with the Gabe Jackson being the the more senior player, maybe that makes some sense. So EJ Snyder, a big thanks for coming on over the draft weekend, tearing it up over there at bootleg football. I know you guys are going to be doing NFC West, uh, you know, wrap ups and each division Mm -hmm. wrap up. Exactly. So what are some of the plans for the offseason coming up?
1: That's the first one and probably the biggest one. The one we stretch out through the offseason is divisional wrap ups. Uh, It's a draft recap along with who else is on the roster and then really talking about what the divisional balance looks like. It's something we kicked off last year. It was a tremendously successful series and it really set us up pretty well. Uh, to really understand the league and the balance throughout the year. Uh, so we're definitely going to do that again. We've got some guests that we tried to shoehorn in before the draft, but they were just too busy. Uh, but they did agree to come on after the draft. So we've got some big names that are going to be on bootleg football. So look for that. Um, just a ton of fun. We're going to keep rolling. We're going to have content every week throughout the offseason. He's EJ Snyder of Bootleg Football. Follow him, The Draftsman
0: FB on Twitter. EJ, thanks once again for coming on throughout the weekend. Be sure and follow along at Bootleg Football. Follow along field And until next time, Seahawks fans, go Hawks.